Welcome to the serialized audiobook Nocturnal by number one New York Times bestselling author Scott Sigler, performed by Phil Giganti. This novel contains adult situations, violence, and is meant for mature audiences. Nocturnal is available in print, ebook, and unabridged ad free audiobook. For links to purchase any version, visit scottsigler.com slash nocturnal. Chapter 81 The Rumpus Room Pookie's heart seemed to bounce all over his chest, enough to make him wonder if left arm pain wasn't next, followed by his ticker giving him the bird and just shutting down in protest. He slid the phone back in his pocket, then tilted his head toward the gunshot victim. Congratulations, Terminator. You just terminated a stuffed bear. Fuck you, Brian said. And that's not a bear. Their flashlight beams played off the target of Brian's gunfire. It was big, and it was stuffed, as evidenced by the dry strands of dark orange fur floating in their flashlight beams. But Brian was right about one thing. It wasn't a bear. Bears don't have opposable thumbs. Bears don't have four eyes. It had rear legs the size of oil barrels and long front arms that hung down to the ground. It would have walked half upright, gorilla style. Two bullets had hit the body, one in the shoulder and one in the thigh, ripping off chunks of orange fur and exposing a white styrofoam-like material beneath. Brian's third shot had shattered one of the glass eyes. Two eyes to the right of the squished nose, two to the left. The eyes were so fucked up so out there that they almost made you miss the mouth full of pointy, inch-long teeth. Pookie reached out a finger and poked the thing, just to make sure it was indeed truly dead. The fur felt dry, stiff, and brittle. This is messed up, he said. Erickson makes giant jackalopes? Brian picked up his shell casings and put them in his pocket. What's a jackalope? He moved to the wall inside the door sliding hands searching for a light switch. Half jackrabbit, half antelope, Pookie said. It's fake taxidermy, a rabbit with antelope horns. People with nothing better to do put different animals together to make weird shit. Erickson is doing something like that. Pookie heard the click of a heavy switch, the room filled with light. The bear thing wasn't alone. Dude, Pookie said, this is pretty fucked up right here. Jebediah Erickson's collection of fake taxidermy lined the room's walls. A dozen creatures, each as monstrous as old four eyes. And standing between some of those creatures, five more that didn't look fake and were even more nightmarish because of their familiarity. He had stuffed people. Brian walked up to one. I don't know much about taxidermy, but this guy looks real. Pookie walked over to join Brian. A man, holding a crowbar. A few strands of hair clung to the crowbar's nail-pulling edge. Blue glass eyes stared out from the dead face, each looking in a slightly different direction. He wore tan slacks, brown loafers, and a white shirt with a blue Izod sweater vest. His brittle blonde hair was feathered in a style straight out of the 80s. Brian pointed to a white fleck glued to the edge of the crowbar. Piece of a tooth? Pookie leaned forward to look. Yeah, a kid's tooth, I think. If this was real, which Pookie doubted, 
The taxidermist was a long ways from getting his union certification. The man's skin looked taut and leathery. He wore a smile, but Pookie couldn't be sure if that was from the too tight skin or the artist's sense of humor. Brian reached out and gently poked the stuffed man's right ear. It was tilted, barely attached. Can you get DNA info out of something that's been stuffed? Pookie shrugged. No idea. You thinking this is a Zed? Brian nodded. Too bad we can't test it. We can, Pookie said. Robin has one of those rap scan doohickeys at her apartment. It's worth a shot. Pookie reached into his pants pocket and pulled out a small evidence envelope. He held it up. You gotta do the honors. Pussy. Brian said as he took the envelope. He gently pulled the ear off the man and slid it inside. The envelope went into his pocket. He turned, then pointed down and to the right. I don't like the looks of that. He was pointing at a little black girl, stiff and rigid, forever frozen in her final pose. She held a knife in her left hand and a fork in her right. Her skin had started to split on the left forearm, pulling away from the white foam material underneath. Brian tilted his head back and sniffed at the air. He turned in place and sniffed again, his nose wrinkling. Pooks, you smell that? Pookie sniffed. The faint odor of ammonia? That and some other things he couldn't name. Yeah, do. You find the source, I'll get some shots of these things. Pookie pulled out his phone and snapped pictures. The little girl, the crowbar man, the other stuffed people. A massive, muscular, 500-pound thing that looked an awful lot like a predatory human-beetle hybrid. A woman in a summer dress who was normal, save for skin covered with inch-long scales that glimmered soft rainbow reflections of the lights above. A black-furred thing on all fours that was about as big as a German shepherd, but with sharp, foot-long pinchers instead of jaws. Pooks, come check this out. Brian was at the back of the room, staring through an open door. Pookie joined him, looking in at a ten-foot-by-twenty-foot room made of old, ill-fitting bricks. In the middle sat a stainless steel workbench. Metal workshop shelves full of boxes and pull-out drawers lined the walls. A closed, old-style bank vault door, complete with a spinning-wheel lock, took up the entire far wall. On the center of the workbench sat a rig holding an unstrung bow. One end of the bench had a polished steel rack holding twenty-four gleaming arrowheads in four neat rows of six. The bench's other end held a custom gun rack, loaded with two matched handguns and a blocky, rifle-sized weapon. He's got two five-sevens, Brian said, pointing to the Fabrique Nationale pistols. Serious shit. Pookie nodded, memories of the rooftop gun battle flashing through his mind. Those were the same pistols the archer had fired at him. Pookie again realized how lucky he had been. The FN's powerful 57 by 28 millimeter cartridge could punch through typical Kevlar body armor, then tumble through the body behind that armor. The bullet's tumbling action would open up a wound channel far larger than the bullet's diameter. Brian reached out and pointed at two empty spots in the handgun rack. Space for four FNs. Only two here. Assume he's got at least one on him. Awesome, Pookie said. Let's hope he doesn't get home anytime soon. 
Brian's gloved hands lifted the larger weapon out of the rack. It sort of looked like an M16 juiced up on steroids. A thick composite stock, a flat black body topped by a rail handle, a long magazine curved slightly forward, and a mid-length barrel. USAS-12, Brian said. Semi-auto shotgun. Ten shots in five seconds. File under a void. Consider it filed. Pookie examined the shelves and drawers. He saw dozens of boxes of ammo for both the five sevens and for the shotgun. Someone was ready to party. Brian opened a metal cabinet on the other side of the room. Inside it hung two dark green cloaks. Maybe Erickson is too old to be the vigilante, but this is definitely the vigilante's home base. He shut the cabinet. But what's with all the fake creatures? Pookie shrugged. Maybe it's a hobby, a way to kill time when he's not killing people. Brian sniffed again. He turned to the old bank vault door, then walked slowly toward it. Pookie sniffed as well. More ammonia? Brian shook his head. It's not just chemicals. I smell something else. His gloved hands reached out and started turning the heavy wheel. Chapter 82 Jebediah Erickson As soon as John saw the old man walking down the sidewalk of Franklin Street, he knew who it had to be. Come on, pooks, John hissed to himself. Hurry up. The old man wore black slacks and a dark brown button-up shirt. Black shoes trod noiselessly on the sidewalk. His hair was so thin it seemed to float above his scalp. He was coming closer, only a few feet from the house. Just pass on by. Just pass on by. The old man reached the bottom steps and started up. He had reached the landing and turned right to climb the rest of the steps when John raised his left hand, palm out. SFPD, John said. Stay right where you are. Please identify yourself. The old man looked up, stared John in the eyes. I am Jebediah Erickson. This is my house. What's happening? Could this man have a gun? What about those people standing across the street? Were they armed? John's body twitched. He had to control himself. Ah, uh, there's been a break-in. Your alarm. Neighbors call. Please step out to the sidewalk. I'm fine right here, the old man said. Who are you? Shit. Should John lie? No. Too late for that. Officer John Smith, San Francisco Police Department. Please produce identification. Shit, 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 shit. God damn it, Pookie, get out here. John lifted the badge hanging around his chest. You see this, sir? This is a badge. Erickson held out a hand. Throw me the badge, officer. I don't know if you are the police or just acting like the police, so keep your distance. The old man's house had been broken into and it didn't faze him. Not one bit. He radiated confidence. He had every right to ask for ID. John lifted the badge from around his neck, gently tossed it to Erickson. The old man caught it. He looked at it carefully, then started up the marble stairs. 
John raised the Sig Sauer he held in his right hand, just enough to show he was serious. Stay where you are. Erickson stopped walking. He looked at the pistol, then back up at John. The old man smiled and tossed the badge back. John again strung it around his neck. He had to stall, buy time for Pookie and Brian to finish whatever they were doing. Now, sir, if I could impose upon you to return the favor. Identification, please. I don't have any identification, Erickson said. Are there more police in my house? Shh, shit, shit. Yes. Get them out of there immediately. The chief of police is a friend of mine, and if they don't leave right now, it will go poorly for them. John nodded, then pulled the phone out of his pocket. It was hard to dial with his left thumb, but no way was he taking the gun out of his right. Something about this old white dude was scary as fuck. island in frigid lake superior a fabricated creature birthed from the mind of a disturbed genius stalks the very people who created it ancestor by number one new york times best-selling author scott sigler is a classic tale of science gone horribly wrong available wherever you get your podcasts Brian turned the wheel until he heard bolts receding into the thick vault door. The wheel stopped. He pulled the heavy door, which slowly swung open on well-oiled hinges. He and Pookie stepped inside. The iron-walled vault was all of twelve feet long by eight feet wide. A rack of knives, saws, and other disturbing instruments hung on one wall. Shelves containing plastic bottles of chemicals lined the other walls leaving just enough room to walk around the stainless steel table in the room's center. A stainless steel table with troughs around the edges, just like the ones in Robin's morgue. On that table, a white sheet covering a body. Brian smelled something new, something he couldn't identify. He reached out, grabbed the sheet where it covered the body's toe, then slid it free with a hiss of fabric. Brian heard a soft, distant buzz, Pookie's cell phone, he knew, but they were both too stunned to pay attention to it. The body on the table, naked, lean, and muscular, skin the color of purple grapes, stomach cut open, a hollow cavity, as all the internal organs had been removed. One leg had been stripped mostly free of muscle, leaving only bones and shreds of meat. And the body's head, it could not be. The cell phone kept buzzing. Jesus, Pookie said quietly. Jesus, H. Christ on a crutch, Brian. The head had a thick bottom jaw as wide as both of Brian's fists pressed side to side. Inside that open mouth, lining both the top and the bottom, rows of huge triangular white teeth. Teeth like a shark's. Pookie took a step forward. He reached out a shaking hand, pinced one of the teeth between his thumb and forefinger, then gave an experimental wiggle. The tooth didn't move. He did it again, harder, and this time the whole head moved in time. That's not fake, he said. Holy shit, man, there's no way that's fake. Look at it. Brian was looking at it, looking at it and recognizing it. 
He'd seen those teeth and that skin in his dreams. This guy is real, Pookie said. And if he's real, then I'm guessing the ones in the other room are real too. Brian, what the fuck is all this? They fell silent. The buzzing phone demanded attention. Pookie finally noticed. He pulled it out of his pocket. Burns, talk to me. A pause. Fuck, Pookie said. Bri Bri, the jig is up. Erickson is here. Pookie climbed the stairs and turned toward the ruined front door. He saw Black Mr. Burns, gun in hand, standing in the doorway, using his body to block entry. Beyond him, Pookie saw an old man standing on the porch. Gotta be Erickson. At least it's just a 70-year-old man and not the goddamn archer. Officer Smith, Pookie said as he approached. The house appears to be clear. John stepped to the side, gestured to the old man. This is Jebediah Erickson. He says this is his house, but he doesn't have any identification. No matter what happened now, Pookie knew that he, Brian, and even Black Mr. Burns were screwed. Why couldn't Brian have just backed off? They'd tried, damn it. They tried hard, and now Pookie's career was probably over for good. His only hope was to try and deal a huge line of bullshit and intimidation to make this go away. Not much of a chance of that working, but he had to give it a shot. I'm Inspector Chang, Pookie said. It's late. Care to explain what you're doing out of your house at this hour with no ID? No, I don't care to explain, Erickson said. I don't need identification to walk outside of my house. Are there any others inside? Sir, Pookie said, gesturing to the porch stairs. Why don't we take a stroll? Erickson pointed to the house's open door. Whoever is in there, get them out here right now, or I am calling Amy. Amy, the guy knew Chief Zhao on a first-name basis, Yep, they were all fucked, good and proper. Erickson glared at Pookie. The old man put his hands on his hips. You've tried my patience enough, officer. If you don't... His voice trailed off. He turned to stare into the house. Brian Clouser stood a foot inside the doorway. Brian's mouth hung halfway open in surprise, like he saw something he couldn't understand, couldn't quite believe. Erickson's expression slipped from indignant anger to thin-lipped, focused rage. A blur of motion. Something hit Pookie in the stomach. His back smashed into the porch's thick wooden railing. Pookie saw John raising his gun, but Erickson was so fast. The old man spun, landed his heel on John's temple. John sagged against the house. Erickson reached out and snatched John's gun before John slid down to his ass. Brian rushed out of the doorway. Erickson raised the gun and fired, getting off one shot before Brian buried his shoulder into the old man's stomach. They hit the porch railing and went through it in a spinning whirl of bodies and cracked wood. They fell fifteen feet to the sidewalk below. Erickson landed on his back, Brian on top of him. Brian reared back to punch, but Erickson's feet whipped up, black shoes hooking behind Brian's head, shins scissoring Brian's neck. Brian grabbed at Erickson's legs. The old man twisted hard to the left, driving Brian face first into the sidewalk. 
Pookie tried to draw a breath, but his stomach wouldn't respond. Where was his gun? His hand found it and he tried to stand. Out on the sidewalk, Erickson snarled as he squeezed his legs tighter on Brian's neck. Brian's feet kicked, shoes sliding uselessly against the sidewalk. Pookie lurched to the broken railing. He still couldn't breathe. He rested his gun hand on the broken rail. Erickson reached his right hand behind his back. When the hand reappeared, it held a Bowie knife. Pookie aimed. Erickson raised the knife. Pookie fired. The bullet winged off the concrete just a half inch from Erickson's hip. The old man flinched. His knife thrust paused. Brian's left foot kicked forward, the toe driving into Erickson's mouth and snapping the white-haired head backward. Erickson rolled away. Brian scrambled to his feet, but the old man was faster, raising the knife and rushing forward to swing it down. Brian's hand shot up, forearms crossing, catching Erickson's wrist in the V. Brian turned and twisted, using Erickson's momentum against him, even as he wrapped his fingers around the old man's hand. Erickson flipped, his back hitting the sidewalk for a second time. Brian now held the knife. In that moment, Pookie had a terrifying glimpse of Brian's face. That wasn't his friend. That wasn't his partner. That was a wide-eyed psychopath. He tried to shout out, to scream, no, but he still couldn't draw a breath. Erickson started to rise. Brian snap-kicked the old man in the mouth, driving him back down. Brian closed and knelt, moving so fast. Streetlight flashed off the Bowie knife's blade as Brian drove it into Erickson's stomach so deep that Pookie heard the point chink into the concrete beneath the old man's back. Everything stopped. That crazy look vanished from Brian's face. Now he just seemed confused. Erickson struggled, used his elbows to sit up halfway. He looked at the knife handle sticking out of his belly. Well, he said, I never planned for this. His head lolled. He slumped backward and lay still. Pookie's diaphragm finally opened up, letting him suck in a deep, halting breath. John stumbled down the steps, then to Erickson's side. He examined the wound, even as he pulled out his cell phone and dialed for an ambulance. Pookie followed, moving down as fast as he could. He saw Brian stand slowly, saw a patch of wetness soaking the right shoulder of his partner's black sweatshirt. Brian, you hit! Brian looked at his shoulder. He grabbed his collar, stretched the wet fabric away to see underneath. Shit. I think I need a doctor. He reached his left hand up and squeezed his right shoulder. Pookie prayed his hunch was wrong, that Brian actually did need a doctor but he didn't want to take that chance. If Pookie was right and Brian went to a hospital. The sound of handcuffs clicking home drew Pookie's attention. Black Mr. Burns had cuffed Erickson's wrists, moved the hands up over the wounded old man's head. John, Pookie said, you got him? John looked up. He's hurt bad and he ain't going nowhere. Ambulance is on the way. It was bad to leave a scene double bad as they shouldn't have been here in the first place, and triple bad because Pookie was technically a civilian, but he had to get Brian out of there. Pookie put a hand on Brian's back and started guiding him toward the Buick. Bri-Bri, come on, we gotta go. Go. 
Dude, I've been shot. I need an ambulance. I'll take you to the hospital, Pookie said. Way faster. Come on. Pookie lightly pushed again, and this time Brian walked toward the car. Tard saw the brown car pull away from the monster's house and down on the ground with a knife in his tummy. The monster. Tard watched all this in utter disbelief. He looked an awful lot like the tree in which he hid. He didn't much care for being a tree because all the bugs crawled into the cracks in his skin. They tickled and sometimes they bit him. Sirens blared. Tard hated that noise. It hurt his ears. Down the street he saw cop cars and... Was that... Yes, the pretty white and red amber lamps truck. The monster wasn't moving. A blackish stain slowly spread across his brown shirt. The amber lamps was coming for him because he was wounded. Sly was going to be so excited. You have been listening to Nocturnal by Scott Sigler, performed by Phil Giganti, produced by Empty Set Entertainment. The Nocturnal audiobook was directed and engineered by Corey Young. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.